Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Our uh, team is in Kentucky. So for those of you who raised your hand and said, I'll be praying for them. If you haven't yet, maybe take a moment right now just so you can fulfill your vow. Things are going great. I just want to continue to lift them up. Uh, I probably could have written this sermon at many different times in my life, but I will continue to be honest with you. I probably didn't really understand it in the past. You can teach something and preach something cognitively and believe it to be true. And then when you experience some things, you start to go, oh, that's what I meant to say. But we'll get there. Uh, one of the first times that I was in um, Rwanda, and I do a, a lot of ministry of partnering with these pastors in Rwanda, and I'm planning on going again in February, so if anybody wants to go hang out in Rwanda, have a fun time. Um, I met this guy, and uh, it was one after one of our evangelism outreach events, and this guy came forward, and it was an older guy, and he just was like through an interpreter, was telling me, like, he just can't embrace the goodness of Jesus or the forgiveness of Jesus, and he just felt so much shame. And, and I just kept saying what we say, God forgives you, he loves you, he cares for you. And he's like, I just, I don't, I don't know how to accept it, though. And I said, well, what's, what's going on? And he had told me that when his um, child was really young, he was really, really sick. And he, um, nothing was really helping him. And he got really desperate. And so he went to the elders in his town, and the town told him to go to the witch doctor, which was pretty prevalent in, in different spaces. Um, and the witch doctor gave him uh, a really bad idea. And he said, what you need to do is take this burning stick and use it to... Um, drain the illness from your son. And uh, it was horrific. And what this man said to me was this. People said, burn him in the body and it will be okay. And basically, he said, when you have no hope, you believe anything. And this is a powerful, powerful statement. By God's grace, his son survived. But the guilt and shame that this man felt... It's a powerful statement, and it kind of applies to anyone in desperation, though we may not get to that space. It's a, it's a potential that we get to spaces where we're like, well, we'll start to believe anybody or anything and, and, and give it a shot. Because for so many people, what you believe to be true, whether it's true or not, is influenced by how much you want it to be true sometimes. And sometimes it's influenced by how much other people are telling you. It's true. So because it matters of this, it matters what we say to each other. It matters what we reinforce. It matters how we influence each other. The words of community are always transforming someone. Our words to each other, our words with our kids, the kids' words with each other. It's always transforming something. It's whether it's towards Jesus or towards yourself. Last week I presented to you as a theory, as a guideline, something that uh, some friends of mine and have been working on for a while and have been a part of it a little bit in different places. And it's based on uh, Dallas Willard's uh, triangle of transformation. We called it 
this theory of transformation, of the triangle of transformation. It's an outline for our series. How these different things, how truth and community and practicing the way of Jesus with the Holy Spirit informing all of that brings transformation in our life. How people change. And what I heard walking, you know, last week is like, man, I've already heard about transformation. I'm good. And that kind of stuff just breaks my heart. Because on this side of heaven, we never fully get there. And so for some of you, maybe you need to hear, maybe this isn't just for you because you have it all pat. Maybe this is for you to tell somebody else. Here are some ways to grow. Because also what I know to be true, when I say it out loud to somebody else, I'm really talking to me. Today we're going to zero in on community. And maybe in a different way than what you might expect. There's a value of safe people. There's a value of safe spaces. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we lift this morning up to you. I know you can do amazing and beautiful things. As your people gather together, may we be open to the truth, open to your word, open to your spirit moving within us. In your name, amen. There's something really beautiful about simple surprises, right? Simple things that come your way. I remember um, maybe 30 years ago now, and Lisa and I were like 12. No, we were young married people. And uh, we went on this vacation with my, whole, my side of the family. My whole family went to Hawaii. So my brothers and their wives and some of their kids, and some of them left their kids at home, which is, thinking back, that's hilarious and brilliant at the same time. So there was like 20 of us or so that were all like, Checking in at the airport and about to get on the plane. And I'm the youngest of all my siblings, which is an important part of the story, I guess. So as we're checking in, there's somebody who went to my church at the time. At the time, I worked at this church in San Mateo. And she worked at another airline, saw us checking in. She so went to the checkout, the check-in place of the, where we were checking in and talked to them for a minute. And then all of a sudden printed out these boarding passes. And mine and Lisa's boarding pass looked different than all of my siblings' boarding passes. Theirs said things like the back of the plane, and ours said like, ah, row 3B, you know. So what happened was, we didn't realize, but she had bumped us to first class while 18 of my siblings and mom and dad are back in coach. But actually, before we took off, we looked back, and they all were like this. We're like, looked like, kind of like cattle in like a truck. You know, and then Lisa and I walked up to first class. Now, that's not the simple surprise. We were sitting there, and there weren't two seats together, but Lisa and I were, like, in our early 20s. Like, we haven't flown first class. I don't know if we've flown first class since. Sorry, babe. I'm really cheap. Okay. But, like, we weren't together. We were separated. But that's okay, because we still were getting better food than everybody else. There was this couple that was sitting there, and we were flying for a while, and I don't know how old they were. I mean, I was in my 20s, so they are probably in their 40s, and I thought they were like 110. But they were like this old couple in their early 40s. And they were chit-chatting, and they were convinced that Lisa and I were on our honeymoon. Because what else would they think? This young couple sitting in first class, because we were so excited that there was even cloth napkins. We're like, oh, my gosh. So they came up to us and said, would you two like to sit together? And I'm like, me not getting it. I'm like, sure. And Lisa, so we, they, they moved so we could sit together. And Lisa's like, they think we're on our honeymoon. 
put your arm around me. <laughs> I'm not sure if you. As I look back at that, I'm like, that's a beautiful little thing. Like these people who are like, we see somebody else, we want to bless them. It did get a little weird when my brother came up from the back of the plane and started talking with us. And I'm like, they think we're on our honeymoon. I didn't bring my family on the honeymoon. This is a little weird. And they were looking at us and they're like, that guy brought his brother on his honeymoon? What kind of weird thing is this? But I look back at that moment and the kindness of those people. Thinking about what my and Lisa's life was at that moment. There's something kind of startling and beautiful. You see, simple surprises and simple faith and simple and, sa simple and safe spaces, it all can move us in some kind of transformational way. Simple faith and immature faith are not the same thing. There's times we can look at certain people and say, ah, oh, they just, they don't know as much as I know. But maybe they believe in more than you can even imagine. I know that we said we're pushing pause on the book of Mark until Lent. I couldn't help myself. We're going back to look at a story of a man that we preached on a few months ago. And it was a great sermon given by Patrick. I am not here to clarify Patrick's words. But there's a story of a man who had a simple faith. And I think his story tells us so much about the power of community. In Mark 10, chapter, Mark chapter 10, starting with verse 46, it says this, Then they came to Jericho, as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. Now just imagine with me, if you will. Scripture doesn't tell us all these things, but just imagine if you allow yourself to do that. Here's a man who had lost one of his senses. In the book of Matthew, it, it kind of referenced him saying, Jesus, will you help me regain my sight? So maybe he had lost it at certain times. And he lost the sense that in today's world, 75% of people said, that's the one sense I do not want to lose is my eyesight. There's a man who had lost his ability to see. He'd become incredibly isolated from any kind of resources to the point where he had to simply beg. And as we looked at last week, our own self-power, our own willpower is an exhaustible resource. There was no doubt in my mind that this man was probably exhausted. Maybe his parents had passed away. We don't know. Maybe his family had discarded him. Maybe he'd become a nuisance. But three things that we know about him that he was listed is that his father's name was Timaeus. They may, Bartimaeus may not have been his real name. They just kind of referenced him as the son of Timaeus. Maybe. He was blind and he was begging. This man in the eyes of the world had been identified as three things. Who his dad was, that he begged, and that he was blind. But no doubt as he sat there at the outside of the town, he heard the words of the community. He heard the words of people walking by him. Because as, as I have heard and have learned, when you lose one sense, maybe your other sense has become heightened. So his ability to hear, hear words, of people saying things. Maybe some of those words were incredibly unkind. They lacked any kind of empathy towards him. 
Maybe some of the words that he heard were people's views of those who begged. Ah, why don't they work for a living? What is wrong with this guy? Who sinned? But maybe the words were also had some compassion and empathy. Maybe some of his experiences were like the story of the Good Samaritan where a man laid on the side of the road hurting and people, religious people, good people, walked just by him because they had something else better to do. Maybe there was times he was sitting there and the rumors of the community were saying, a holy man is coming, somebody who can make a difference, a rich man is coming. He's about to walk by and they just proceeded on their way and his personal life didn't change at all. I'm guessing since he got to a point of having to beg, Bartimaeus' life was greatly affected by the words he heard. But even in the midst of all of this, somehow I also believe he heard some words of hope, of blessing, of healing. There must have been words or people having conversations about this Jesus of Nazareth. This Jesus of Nazareth has come and he's doing such and such. Or maybe people were sharing scripture with him. They're hearing out loud like, man, it's just like Isaiah wrote. The lame were walking and the blind are now seeing. And Bartimaeus is sitting there going, wait, what? Go back to that point. The blind are now seeing? Wait, there's somebody else with the same issue I have and this man healed them? Tell me that again. Where was that? Who was that? Because when somebody else has the same struggle we have and they have gained victory, it gives us hope. I wonder, what if there was no words about that happening and Bartimaeus would have just been stuck in his desperation? Words he may have heard is maybe he really is the son of David, he's the Messiah. And these words from people walking by deeply moved in the heart of a blind man who was begging, whose dad's name was Timaeus. These words seemed to break through layers of doubt and defeat and moved into him to some kind of hope. Have you ever heard words like this? Like the pain you're going through, there's hope in the midst of that. Are you able to tell stories like this? Do you tell stories like this? Back to Mark chapter 10. When he heard, Bartimaeus, that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You see, a simple faith broke through the noise that was in this crowd he took the stories of the community, the things that he was hearing, and connected them to salvation, to the Messiah. He's like, I'm hearing these things. I need that too. I'm connecting to something bigger. And he developed this faith that was pleasing to God. A faith that was pleasing to God. I think the brilliance of Bartimaeus was that he told himself the truth. He knew he was blind. He knew he could not help himself. You see, this would separate him from so many of us. It just does. Honesty and vulnerability about our condition. I am who I am. This is all I can do. Son of David, help me. 
Someone must have told, me, told them that Jesus was healing blind people. Can you imagine being blind and doing, can have no power to change that at all? But all of a sudden, somebody in their celebration of what Jesus was doing is saying, hey, somebody else can't, who couldn't see it can now see. And maybe it was like friend who told a friend who told a friend, and they can't wait to tell Bart, Bartimaeus, there is hope for you. If we can just get this Jesus to walk by you or get you to see Jesus. Stories of hope in the community. Stories in the community, and I don't just mean the community around, I mean just people in your own life or the community of church. Stories do either negative things in our lives that reinforce the lies of the enemy or reinforce negative thoughts. I've had people come up to me and say, Dale, we've been talking to people and nobody likes this. And I'm like, really? So there's a group of people, and the goal of talking about things is just the negative. That seems super awesome and really healthy. Where's the voice of hope in the midst of that? The voice of blessing. The voice that our God can do things beyond what we can even imagine. The words of community are vital. I can't happen to imagine that Bartimaeus' prayer life started to increase. Maybe there's more intensity, more passion, maybe even more volume, because hope does that. The words of truth do that. Focusing on Jesus does that. That's the power of the transformation, the part the community plays. Hope can increase through our words of testimony to each other. He sat there. And maybe for the first time in a long time said, wait, there's hope for me? As Jesus was coming, maybe somebody ran ahead and said, Bartimaeus, he's coming. He's coming. I don't know how he knew. Maybe he started screaming long before Jesus was even near. But somehow he knew, like, this is my chance. This is what I have to do. This is what I have to see God do. This kind of proactive caring transforms life in people. He believed before he ever saw. As the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, before Bartimaeus ever met Jesus, he was a disciple of Jesus. Because he had believed the reports given to him of what Jesus could do. Let's continue. Many rebuked him, rebuked Bartimaeus. And told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son. I'm going I'm to shout here, okay? So for those of you who are like, my ears are sensitive, maybe plug them. I just want you to feel this. I know I'm on the microphone. I don't care. I'm a football coach. Son of David, have mercy on me. His cries out to God wasn't, don't you see my problems? You just said, have mercy on me. When you say have mercy on me, you are crying out to somebody who has the ability to show mercy. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. He hears and knows that this is his chance. Anybody notice anything about the crowd here? They are a little fickle. 
right? They're walking along, and here's this man screaming, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And they're like, hey, hush, Jesus isn't here for you. We may not be saying that to each other, but when there are certain topics in the Christian community that aren't able to be expressed, just even talking about them, when someone feels them, when they're struggling, when it's like, we're not going to talk about that. It's the same as the crowd rebuking Bartimaeus for not sharing his need. The absence of conversation can be deafening. Because sometimes we feel like even when we have the conversation, oh, no, 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 we're open to sin. We're not open to sin. We're just talking about the struggles of life. But all of a sudden Jesus goes, hey, call him. And what does the crowd do? Bro, hey, buddy. They turn so quickly. Like even Jesus wants to talk to you. Cheer up. They're like, he's like, I was down because you were yelling at me. But now you're telling me to cheer up. When God's people don't allow things to be talked about, it causes internal chaos and maybe even toxic realities. But when we make regular practice of sharing our lives and our stories and our struggles with each other, we then move towards each other and create space for them to move towards us. Needless to say, shame or seclusion hates this kind of openness because it has nowhere to hide. It has nowhere to grow. Jesus calls him and they say, hey, bro, we want you. From the commentary of Joe Marcus wrote, he says this, the sudden change of the crowd here is a comic but realistic touch. Charity, like hatred, can be contagious. We see it played out right in front of us. We start to share the minds and words of other people and pushing away. And all of a sudden, Jesus says something. Oh, yeah, I'm with him too. The words of a transforming community remembers the words of Jesus. Let's continue. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. This was his moment of truth. Cloaks. What does this have to do with any? Was it just like, oh, you know, he was worn. Cloaks, biblically, kind of represent an identity for a lot of people. They were worn by everyone, including priests, kings, men and women. There were even laws about how long you could borrow a cloak. When Elijah was taken to heaven, this prophet, Elisha, takes Elijah's cloak as a symbol that he's now been granted this prophetic authority. What Bartimaeus' cloak said, everything about him was that he was a beggar. So in this moment, can you picture it? He's screaming out to God. He has heard the words of truth. He has been given hope because Jesus has done this for somebody else. He stands up. He's blind. There's a crowd. I am taking off this cloak that has been defining me as a beggar. This is a moment of risk. Why? Because he is blind and he may not be able to find this cloak ever again. But he takes it off. He says, I will not be defined by the things of this world anymore. If the words were true, 
this cloak will no longer be needed. He was about to realize his real identity. This question from Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? Are you willing just to look? Maybe picture the eyes of Jesus looking at you right now. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? My guess is that so many of our answers are probably the words that have formed us over time. For some, it's like, wait, what? Genie in the bottle? You know I've been needing a new car. And while you're asking, it might as well be like a red one that goes really fast, but I promise I won't speed. Or you might be thinking, you know, finances have been my problem for so long. too. Whatever it is, whatever the things that are informing you. Mark uses the same kind of question four different times in his gospel. If you remember when Herod was very pleased by the dancing of his daughter, and the da he asked his daughter, what do you want me to do for you? The words that she had been hearing is that John the Baptist was a bad man, so her response was, I want revenge. So he beheads John the Baptist. James and John go to Jesus, and they're like, we have a question to ask you. So Jesus looks at his two disciples and like, okay, what do you want me to do for you two? And what did they say? We want power. Because the words of the community have said to us, Power is the way to move forward. After the question of Bartimaeus, Pilate asked the same question to the crowds. What then shall I do? What do you want me to do for you? And the crowd who had become so convinced that Jesus was a blasphemer said what? Crucify him. But to Bartimaeus, defined as a blind beggar, heard words of truth and hope from other people that when Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He says, I want to see. That's shocking to no one, but I don't think that was his complete answer. Hmm. Let me scroll down. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Such a huge line there. Immediately he received his sight. Can you imagine for a moment how he felt? Can you? Can you push past, maybe you knew this story for your whole life. Can you push past the, the pictures and this, just like, what does it mean to finally get the thing you've been so longing for? This seems to be a brilliance of his simple faith. It wasn't a selfish cry. It wasn't the words of someone begging. It was the words of someone believing. How did this man come to believing? I really think it started with the words of hope and blessing that others shared with him. But let me ask you, why did he want to be healed? Why? For some of you are like, no, duh, he's blind. He just wanted, I believe he wanted to be healed because he wanted to follow Jesus. He wanted to see where he's going. 
Look at verse 52 again. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Immediately he received sight and did what? Followed Jesus. When Jesus transforms us, it's freeing. We can't help ourselves. I have a good friend named Tark. Tark um, was a guy that I met when I worked in San Francisco. He had helped plant uh, the church in San Francisco. He was an elder there. He was a staff person there. Significant pastor. First day that I met Tark, he just drops this line in. So when I was in prison, and I'm like, wait, what? That's not what I was expecting, meeting with one of the founders of this church. And he was telling me the story about how when he was in prison. He kind of did that a lot. I think he enjoyed the shock. And then I thought in my head, wait, what, where, where am I right now? Turns out he had gone to prison for doing some things he shouldn't have done. And then at 32, he uh, went to this camp. It was a recovery camp, a residency camp. And after six months or so of him getting healed and coming to know Jesus and being freed from these things, they said, you are free to go. Go. He's like, I don't want to go anywhere. This place has transformed me. I love Jesus. I want to stay and work for free. So he did. He stayed. Because when you're freed, you don't want to walk the other way. What a great indicator for us. When you're free, you don't want to walk the other way. Something else from Joe Marcus, he wrote this. Bartimaeus, sensing this hidden dimension in Jesus' parting words, uses the freedom that Jesus has given him go, to choose the life of discipleship that with his restored vision he perceives to be the logical consequence of the saving faith that delivered him from a life of darkness. When Jesus frees you, it's not for you to walk the other way. It's for you to continue to walk even into more light. Before we close, let me just show you one more thing around community, because there's no way in a context of one sermon you can capture all of this. But here's what I want you to hear. The book of Luke records when Jesus probably preached his first sermon within his hometown. He's in the hometown synagogue, and he reads the words from Isaiah, and he inserts himself into it. This is what it sounds like. Luke chapter 4. He stood up to read, meaning Jesus, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has announced me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The heart of Jesus' mission starts with truth and then goes to the wounded, the neglected, the ignored, the abused, the lost, the violated. He sees them because he has the eyes of God. And when the Holy Spirit is in us, 
we should have the eyes of God to each other. I would say that if I had to choose one word that defines this opening message of Jesus where he's quoting Isaiah of his purpose and his kingdom, it's the word empathy. Empathy is the ability to feel what someone else is feeling. Empathy allows us to exit our own feelings and enter into the ones of other people. Empathy is the ability to see the world through others' pain, through others' experience, through others' fear. Empathy doesn't mean you're agreeing with them. Empathy just means I see you as God sees you and I want to feel with you. You see, that's the kind of community that's transforming. <laughs> it may even just start with one close friend, clarifying I'm counting on you to be the kind of community where it's safe to talk with you. That though I might be wrong, you're still hearing what I'm saying. The reason why marriages that are in crisis can be so painful and hurtful is because the very reason God brought you together was to hold those spaces together. And when that no longer becomes the safe space, it becomes even more excruciating, not just humanly, but spiritually. So it's worth the extra conversation. The reason churches have become irrelevant and crumbling in the eyes of the community is because they're not safe spaces. They're judgmental. And they're hurting. And they're hard. And things aren't safe to talk about. What if this space was different? What if it was different? It seems to me that communities following the way of Jesus experience joy by practicing vulnerability in their telling and listening of people's life stories. It seems to me that communities following the way of Jesus hear the cries of all the distressed, the wounded, and respond with active compassion. It seems to me that communities following the way of Jesus transform to an instinctive bias towards acts of grace and peace and mercy and goodness. To who? To those who we who agree with us, to those that believe the same things we do all the time, to those that we agree with them, nope, to everyone. That is the startling reality of the Jesus of Nazareth. And that's community's part and how people change. Pray with me. God, we sit before you and Spirit, I just ask you to move. In the hearts and minds of those who've gathered together today. Maybe there's many watching online. I know we have quite a few that do, and your blessings upon them. Maybe for there's some who are, um, there's some really hurtful words being said back and forth within the context of their marriages. 
pray that they would open up their hands to you and receive your forgiveness and that the words of hurt would turn into words of hope and blessing. I pray that the hesitancy we have to open up about our own hearts and minds, sometimes we don't even want people to pray for us. How dark is that darkness when we're like, ah, I don't want to bother people to pray for me. But that we are a place where we're like, my vulnerability is my one shot at this. Father, I just pray for your spirit to move in our hearts and our minds. Forgive me of my failures. Forgive me of the times where I have just hung on to the lies. There is freedom. And there is real, real change. And we get to be a part of it. May the words we have for each other be blessing and not pain. May the words we have for each other give hope and not hate. May the words we have for each other bring healing and not bondage.